turn now to the scripture lesson from which we will start at least. It will be the starting point for our sermon, or it will be one of the scriptures that I'll refer to in the sermon. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is God's holy word as he inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Philippi in Macedonia. So let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy word in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That sends the reading of God's holy word for us, at least for the moment. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing of your word this morning. Help us to be enlightened by it, to take to heart the things that you would have us know. Particularly today, we would ask that you would help us to be encouraged all the more to engage in private prayer, to remember our vows that we have made before you, that we would practice these spiritual disciplines, which are so important in our walk in the footsteps of Christ Jesus. We pray that you would help us, therefore, to follow in his footsteps and to pray even as he prayed. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I expect that I will not be in the pulpit here at Hebron next Lord's Day. And therefore, I'm going to preach my communion preparation sermon today as we'll be planning to observe the sacrament in two weeks' time. For our communion preparation sermons of late, I've been working through the promises that we make in the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America uh, as we commit ourselves to the covenant of communicant membership. Last time we began considering the content of query number five. The whole query reads, to the end, that you may grow in the Christian life Do you promise that you will diligently read the Bible, engage in private prayer, keep the Lord's Day, regularly attend the worship services, observe the appointed sacraments, and give to the Lord's work as he shall prosper you? So last time we considered our commitment to read the Bible diligently. And so today we'll consider our commitment to engage in private prayer. It was uh, providential that in the adult Sabbath school class this morning, we heard about, uh, talking about assurance of faith and salvation, a nice uh, video series with Dr. Joel Beakey presenting. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned in this morning's lecture was that oftentimes when someone backslides, when someone uh, falls away somewhat from living a life that is following in the footsteps of Christ, though they still have the seed of faith, they haven't lost their salvation, uh, but, but they may seem to be living a very worldly life. 
Oftentimes that kind of worldliness will creep into a Christian's life because the first thing he began to neglect was his private prayer. And so that's, uh, I think, providential that we heard that this morning. And now here we're considering our commitment to engage in private prayer. We all know that we should pray. And we know that we each should be praying, not just engaging in our corporate prayers when we come to public worship or family worship or when we pray at meals together. But we know that we should be praying Privately, we've all promised that if we've joined an RP church. We have promised to engage in private prayer. Well, how do we go about doing that? And when I ask that, I'm not saying what are the mechanics of prayer. I'll talk a little bit today about uh, some good uh, advice, some good counsel on how to go about praying in terms of of how do you actually, what do you actually pray. Um, In the devotional In table talk for the weekend of October 9th and 10th of 2021, though, uh, William Godfrey identified four principles of prayer that are found in the Bible, and these were uh, principles that he got in turn from the Protestant Reformers. And so I want to share those with you today. So we're going to talk here not about so much the mechanics, what should your prayers include, but what should you do in going about praying? How should you prepare yourself and what should you what your should your attitude be as you engage in private prayer? So here's four principles of prayer that the Protestant reformers identified, and that William Godfrey uh, republished for us a couple of years ago in Table Talk. One of them is pray with reverent preparation of your mind. A second one is approach God with a true realization of your needs. Third, approach God with humility. And fourth, approach God with confidence. And we'll get into this, of course, in more detail. So you might be asking, well, how can I approach God both with humility and confidence? Don't those things contradict one another? And we'll see they don't. But today I'm going to to take you through these Reformation principles, which is to say biblical principles of prayer. So first, when you pray... Pray with reverent preparation of your mind. That doesn't mean that you can't throw up a quick prayer when you're in traffic and something dangerous looks like it's about to happen and you, well, you don't have time to prepare your mind, so don't pray. No, that's not what we're saying here. Be, be sure to, it's okay to pray, oh God, help me right here in, in, in a quick moment. But when you're engaging in private prayer, ordinarily you should set aside some time, of course, in your daily life to do so, and you need to prepare your mind for it. It's very easy for us to get distracted by other things, and of course the flesh is weak. I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes praying when I go to bed at night. I usually will pray and read my Bible, or read my Bible and pray, and I'll interchange them. Uh, But uh, when I do that, I'll find that if I'm if I've had a long day and I'm really tired, it's very easy right in the middle of, of praying for my mind to drift onto something else. And I'm not thinking about lifting up my prayers to God at that moment. But it's good for us to have proper preparation of mind. And the word reverent is important there. Reverent preparation of the mind. Uh, there, there has to be a solemnity, a respect for God as you approach him in prayer. 
Think of who God is. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, this, this passage actually connects to several of our points here, but the Lord says to King Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we'll talk about humility in a bit, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The key here is seeking God's face. Prayer is a seeking of God's face, as it were. It's not so much about me when I pray. It's not so much about you when you pray as it is about God and your relationship with Him. As we'll see, it's absolutely appropriate to make your requests known. We'll talk about what that means and what Paul means in Philippians 4 when he says that here in a bit. But we need to be thinking first of God, really. It's about Him. It's about His glory. Indeed, it's a topic for another day, but sometimes people ask, well, why do Calvinists bother praying? We understand God is sovereign and He's, he's, got, he's in control of everything. But we see in Scripture that God is actually pleased to use our prayers as part of the unfolding of His plan. So think about that when you're praying. You're actually participating in the unfolding of God's plan. It's a joyous thing, but it's a reverent thing. In Matthew 6, verses 5 through 6, Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. I think if you have the King James Version, it'll say your closet. Not meaning that small little room that you keep your clothes in, things, but a closed room, a, a private place. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, or in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. doesn't mean that there isn't a place, again, for public prayers. But this is talking about engaging in private prayer. Hebrews 12 28 through 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, when we talk about coming before Him with confidence in a little bit, we'll see that this shouldn't make us fearful to come before Him, but we should be reverent. We recognize who this is that we are bringing our prayers to and how gracious it is that he actually will hear them. Coming before God's throne, seeking his face with little thought for how we address him or of the majesty of the one that we're addressing, with a lack of reverence for God, for who he truly is, doing that would be a bad idea. In Isaiah 6 Verses 1 through 3, the prophet relates a vision he was given. You probably have heard this read many times. He writes, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So God is seated in heaven, as it were, and his robe is hanging down. The temple is like his footstool. 
Above it, Isaiah says, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. So notice there the, the humility, the glory of God. is just too much for them to look upon. They cover their faces. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He is holy. Repeating something three times in Hebrew says that this is something that is is intense. This is the most holy something can be. In Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 we read the, the words of the prophet addressing the Lord. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon wickedness. Psalm 41 or 48 rather verse 1 Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in his holy mountain. Putting these things together we see that there should be a sense of awe when you come before the Lord in prayer. As you consider the one to whom you are offering up your prayers. God is not your jovial uncle. He's certainly not your genie who's there for you to rub a lamp, so to speak, and he'll pop up and give you whatever your wishes are, summon him to meet your demands, to grant your wishes. No, he's, as Hebrews says, a consuming fire. He's holy. He has eyes too pure, as Habakkuk says, to countenance our sins. He's great and greatly to be praised. So when you pray, pray with reverent preparation of your mind. Don't let that keep you from praying. Don't let the holiness of God keep you away from him because we also see his graciousness as we go forward here. Secondly, so our first principle was to pray with with reverent preparation of your mind. But secondly, approach God with a true realization of your needs. Let's consider Jesus' parable in Luke 18, 9-14. This also has applications with our other points here. We read here in Luke 18, Luke says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So obviously that has a good connection to our point about humility coming up here. There's much that can be learned from that parable, but one difference that we might note between the Pharisee on the one hand and the tax collector on the other was that the tax collector realized his need. He needed mercy. So did the Pharisee. 
but the Pharisee didn't realize it. Neither man possessed the righteousness that he needed to stand before God, but only the tax collector realized his needs. So examine yourself and realize your needs and bring those before God. The Pharisee trusted in his own righteousness. But Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 64 verse 6, But we are all like an unclean thing, and our righteousness is as filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's what we're like if we think that we can stand before God clothed in our own righteousness. It's like coming before Him in filthy rags, and our iniquities will just blow us away like the wind blows away a leaf. It's apropos at this time of year. Think of the wind blowing leaves away. The tax collector recognized his need. He was poor in spirit. He recognized his poverty in the presence of the Lord. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We read earlier from Isaiah 66 about being poor and contrite in spirit. I'll refer to that in a bit here, I think. You have needs, and it is right that you recognize them and bring them before your God. As Philippians 4, 6 says, let your requests be made known to God. Now that doesn't mean, when Paul says that, that, that God has no knowledge of what you need and what your requests are unless you actually vocalize them to him. It's simply a Greek idiom that means state your requests. We need to recognize a need in order to make a request. You and I are utterly dependent on God for what we are and for what we have. Psalm 44 verse 3 says of Israel, they, they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, speaking to God, it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance because you favored them. Romans 12, verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So we soberly think about what we are to bring before God, we recognize our needs and bring them. Approach God with a true realization of your needs. Third, approach God with humility. We've already seen that God is a consuming fire. Right? So we see that there should be reverence. There should also then be humility. Many of the scriptures that we've already read looked at and encouraged humility. In Second Chronicles 7.14, God says he will hear when his people humble themselves. The tax collector in Jesus' parable was humble. And Jesus said that those who exalt themselves will be brought low, but those who humble themselves will be raised up. So the tax collector humbled himself as opposed to the Pharisee's self-righteousness. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made. 
and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one I will look, on him who is poor and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. God looks on the one with a poor and contrite spirit. Again, at the end of Sabbath school, we sang from Psalm 51, right? the, the God does not despise the sacrifice of a contrite spirit, of a contrite heart, a repentant heart. God looks on the one with a poor and contrite spirit. This looking on that he speaks of there in Isaiah 66 is similar to the way in which we see the Lord in Genesis 4 having regard for Abel and his sacrifice. And you'll notice that the difference between Cain and Abel isn't just what they bring, though what they bring might be convincing or evidence of the attitude, but of course the, the grain offering that Cain brings is consistent with what we see later, though there's nothing said about the first fruits being brought. But that's consistent with the grain offerings that we see in Scripture later. The problem was Cain himself and Abel himself. God had regard for Abel and his sacrifice and not for Cain and his sacrifice. As Hebrews 11 tells us that Abel brought his sacrifice by faith. That was the difference. The Lord had regard for Abel and his sacrifice and thus the Lord looks on, has regard for in a similar way. It's not the same word, but it's similar a similar concept, he, has, he looks on the one with a poor and contrite spirit. The Lord regards favorably those who approach him with humility. Someone who does not take God's word lightly, but who trembles at it. You cannot arrogantly approach God as if you deserve to be in his presence or to have your prayers heard. Proverbs 15.8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You see there, poetically juxtaposed against each other are sacrifices and prayers, and so uh, we, we see that, that uh, this is talking about all acts of worship, really. So if the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, so is the prayer of the wicked. But the sacrifice, the prayer, the worship of the upright is God's delight. We have to recognize, as Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It should be a wonder to us that God cares to hear our prayers at all. Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Always remember David's words in Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Micah 6, verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Notice that in Philippians 4, 6, we are to offer up our prayers with thanksgiving. God does not owe you or me an answer to our prayers. 
but he does answer them. Rather, though, when we make our supplications, when you make your supplications to him, humbly acknowledge his grace and mercy toward you. Philippians 4.6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Approach God with humility. But as we consider that we need to have reverent preparation of mind and hear humility, we might start to think, well, then I can't come before the Lord's throne boldly, and yet Scripture tells you to do so. That's the fourth principle we're going to see here. At the same time, as you approach God with humility, number four, approach God with confidence. And those concepts of approaching God with humility on the one hand and confidence on the other might seem at just a cursory glance to be at odds with each other, to be somehow contradictory, but they're actually not. They're in perfect accord because the confidence with which we must approach the throne of God is not a confidence in ourselves. We don't want to be like that Pharisee in Jesus' parable who says, look at how great I am, therefore you should hear my prayers. No, it's confidence in Christ. If it relied upon my own righteousness, I would keep failing and keep failing and keep failing, and I would never have the right to come before God's throne. But it doesn't depend on my righteousness. So even when I fail, I can still come back to God's throne and flee to Him. John 16, verses 23 through 27. Jesus says, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Christ still does intercede, but that's not his point here. He says, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father loves you, He's adopted you as his child, and so when you come before his throne, it's not like you're coming before a throne of judgment. You're coming to the seat of a loving father. As William Godfrey writes, does the the success of our prayers rest on our perfect application of these principles? No. Our confidence is in Christ, our advocate. As Belgic Confession 26 puts it, we call on the Heavenly Father through Christ, our only mediator, being assured that we shall obtain all we ask of the Father in His name. It's because of Christ. John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus said to him, Thomas, that is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know Him and have seen Him. If you are in Christ, you know God for who He truly is. And He has adopted you as a co-heir with Christ for His kingdom. Romans 8, 26-30, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
Your prayers, my prayers, are not perfect for God's presence, but the Holy Spirit makes them perfect for God's presence. So that should make you more confident to pray. Paul goes on and says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these also he called. Whom he called, these also he justified. And whom he justified, these also he glorified. You can be confident to approach God in prayer because the Holy Spirit sanctifies your imperfect words. And because God has eternally loved, predestined, and called you. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing. Hebrews 4.14-16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So you've got a high priest who knows exactly what it's like to be you, to be a human being who is tempted, who struggles with sin, but he never sinned, so he can make a perfect sacrifice of himself for you, so you can come boldly before the throne of God. That's what Hebrews is saying here. He's tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the author of Hebrews then says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus has made intercession for you because of his righteousness on your behalf applied to you by faith in him, you may approach God boldly. (coughs) Hebrews 7, verses 24 through 28 say this of Jesus. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests, that is the earthly ones, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's, For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. And then as Hebrews 10, 19-22 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that is, the holy of holies in heaven, by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So because of Jesus atoning death on your behalf, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Approach God with confidence. Because Christ has purchased your forgiveness. 
and your standing before his father. Now you'll notice I did not deal today with the various elements of praise and supplication and confession and intercession and so on that prayers can include. Nor did I offer you a model for how to go about praying. For that sort of thing, you can look to the prayers of the Bible and especially the Lord's Prayer. It's a great model for your prayers. If you struggle to pray in terms of finding what to say, look to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, use it as an outline for your prayers. You don't have to just uh, uh, repeat it by rote, but use those elements of it as, as one commentator puts it, as the hooks on which you hang your prayers. But when you pray, follow also these principles. Give due attention to the preparation of your mind. You're coming before the glorious, majestic God. He is awesome and holy and should be treated accordingly. Approach Him also with a true realization of your needs and your dependence on Him. You need Him. Apart from Him, you can accomplish nothing. So approach Him in prayer, recognizing your needs. And your particular needs also, obviously. As well as those more general ones I just mentioned. Approach Him with humility. Knowing that you bring nothing to Him, but that you are a sinner in need of Him. But also approach Him with confidence. For though you are a sinner, if your faith is in Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven. God has adopted you into his household. You are a child of God. You can come before your heavenly Father with confidence because of the merits of Jesus Christ that rest upon you. So come before the throne of God in confidence. Let's pray. Lord, grant that we might take these lessons to heart, that we might pray fervently with due preparation of mind, realizing our needs and approaching you humbly, and also with confidence in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.